I don't really know how to start shows. Come on now, don't start, don't start liking me now. So yeah, I'm funny compared to you. Know, well, you'll see later. I stand for mayhem. I know a lot of fucking idiots. I think a lot of shit is mean spirited just because it goes against what they believe. But the relief of comedy is it takes things that aren't funny and it allows us to laugh about them for an hour. We got a purple suit to buy and a gigantic coffin. Why are you laughing? Evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Why Are You Laughing, a history of comedy podcast. Today, not in the vaulted podcast studios, but uh, over StreamYard. Hopefully, the gang will be back together soon. But for now, I am pleased to introduce to you the great Louis C.K. Yes, finally, we're doing uh, Louis. Very exciting. Uh, As you guys probably know, one of my favorites of all time. But uh, before we get into it, it's just Craig with me today. And uh, if, if, if the, (laughs) sorry, everyone, and uh, like I said, we're over StreamYard. So if it sounds worse than usual, if you like it when the gang's all together uh, and you record anything yourself, make sure you hit up Vaulted Podcasts in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. That's where uh, Matt records his stuff. Also, make sure you go to blindmike.net. That's where you can find links to the Patreon merch. We got Why Are You Laughing merch. We got Gearhead merch, uh, uh, Blind Mike Project, all that fun stuff. And then uh, that's also where you can get the links for the podcast, the YouTubes. Support all of that. Um, if you can't support the show on Patreon, which we appreciate if you do, but uh, make sure you support the show for free. Leave a five-star review and uh, everything other, every other podcast says. When you listen to other podcasts and they tell you what to do, do that for us as well. That'd be nice. Helpful. Yes. Um, so, yeah, obviously, uh, Lou's one of my favorite of all time. Uh, he had some... Snafu recently. You haven't seen much of him, but he started to come back. <laughs> I can't think of what that was. I don't really remember. Uh, well, I suppose we'll talk about it as the day goes on. But um, Louis had a movie come out, 4th of July. It just premiered recently, and then will be up on streaming soon. So I figured now would be a good time to talk about him. And I think there's a lot to talk about with Louis, but we'll go through uh, the history first. Um, was Louis one of your guys, Craig, I assume? I've always liked him for sure, yeah. I, I do feel like Chappelle is kind of taking this the the reins as far as like the uh, philosopher side of George Carlin, but I feel like Louis was the George Carlin of our generation. Like the similar, there's a ton of similarities. Um, I mean, you can start with the fact that he essentially copied Carlin's model with the idea of doing a special every year, mm. which now that he's back doing them, he's tried kind of to keep up that pace. COVID obviously got in the way, but you have Sincerely and Sorry come out in the last couple of years. Um, so I do think, like, if you're talking about influences, clearly Carlin seems to be the most prevalent in Louis. Like, I think that seems kind of obvious, particularly where if you look at Carlin, he has some completely silly stuff and some truly brilliant things that you've never thought of and takes on just life in general. And that's what Louie was able to do. Um, but if you go back just like five years ago before the Me Too era, uh, Louie was probably the biggest comedian in the world. And the thing that stuck out to me most is that, like, you know, we talk about diversity a lot now. We all, uh, we're, we're crazy about diversity. We need more diversity. And Tim Dillon is always the example I use for this, where it's stunning to me that one of the most popular podcasters in the world uh, is a gay man. And, you know, he's also a great comedian and he doesn't have anything on 
Netflix. He doesn't have on any of the streaming services. Like the industry hasn't gone after this guy and said, Hey, we could use a gay voice because he's not a stereotype. He doesn't fit into what they want gay people to be. And Louis is actually a great example of that. Cause a lot of you might not even know that he is Mexican. He's of Mexican descent. Um, I should say half he's half Mexican and half, uh, uh Irish, I think. Um, yeah. I gotta say the Irish is a little stronger in yeah, his blood. It seems for sure. I think that one, it stands out pretty well. Yeah. I would say so. But that's my point is that the biggest comedian in the country was a Mexican man and no one ever mentioned it because he doesn't fit the stereotype. He looks like a white guy and that's not what they want in their diversity. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. And back to his, um, him putting out specials every year. I wish he went, I, I preferred his earlier stuff when they were more spaced out. Cause yeah, there'd be time in general. Cause even, even I've liked, um, I, th- I think I've liked all his specials, but certainly the last, f- the few between like 2014 to 2017 were probably weaker than the early ones for sure. And I think weaker than the two that just came out. Um, and that is because he's, you know, you're, you're rushing them out when you put them out in a year. Right. Like he, I think he is a brilliant comedic mind that's able to create an hour's worth of content in a year's time. But how much better would that be if he gave it, I mean, even an extra six months to work on it, right. never mind a year or two, you know? Exactly my point. Yeah. I just, I just, there'd, there'd be things in some of the, those specials that you're like, oh, I wish she just didn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and you saw, you saw people try and copy Louie and try to come out with one a year. And I think that's died down as well, where people are saying, you know what? It's better off if I work. Even the prolific guys like Sam Morell took a couple of years between Joe List was a couple of years between. Right. And uh, Burr, Burr always goes for 18 months, which I think is probably. Yeah. And I would, I could even argue that's too much for Burr right now where he should take a little longer to work on shit before putting it out. Right. Uh, anyways, speaking of influences, we talked about uh, Louis's influences. A guy who was clearly influenced by Louis would be my boy, Shane Gillis, um, who had him on recently for a series called the presidents where, so we're we'll talk about a little, the fact that Louis has been on like a podcast run lately. He's done a few public appearances and podcasts, um, but they've all been themed, shall we say. There's a, it's more so that there's a topic that doesn't get brought up rather than a topic that does get brought up. But um, one of these themes was uh, man Shane had him on to basically just talk about history and the presidents throughout time. And uh, one of these stories was from when he was a very young child and his family had just moved to Mexico. So they came, um, his father went to Harvard, which I didn't know until doing research for this. Um, and he said that basically, uh, life didn't work out for his dad. Like he was a Harvard educated guy, but nothing ever took, let's say, you know what I mean? He wasn't a crazy successful guy or anything. Um, he was around, but Louie didn't know him particularly well. It's amazing. The influences I've taken, it's weird. <laughs> um, but, and his, my, you know, his mom raised him and, uh, it was a single mother who went to work like crazy. They had four kids, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, uh, they moved over here when he was seven and in the Matt and Shane podcast with Louie, I found this story very interesting about how he, um, kind of uh, acclimated himself to American culture. And I got obsessed with the idea of the president 
of the United States. It's where it became a thing to me. And the president at the time was Nixon. And um, I cut a picture out of him uh, of him out of the paper and I put it, taped it up next to Nixon? my bed. Yes, I loved Damn, Nixon. When I was a Nixon. little kid, I was so about Richard Nixon. And I wrote a letter to my abuelita, my grandma. Yeah. And I sent her a picture of Nixon and said, this is the president of the United States. He's the greatest He's man, the greatest man. man in the country. He's so cool. He's the best man. I didn't know a single thing about <laughs> yeah. him. And he had this serious face. And I had a dream. It's the first dream I remember. I don't know if you remember dreams from when you were a kid at all. Yeah. You ever had a dream that you still remember? I'm not sure that I do. So I remember one dream I was in, um, I, the, my bedroom was in the front of our house. So you looked out at the front of our house and it, I was uh, asleep and it was m like a Sunday morning and I heard a band, like a marching band. And I looked outside and it was Nixon <laughs> like walking up my street, just no, no spectators. Yeah. Just him walking up with followed by a marching man. Boom, 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 boom. And I came out on the front yard. I we had this walkway and he got down on one knee and he said, Louie. <laughs> <laughs> and I ran into his arms. What he, the fuck? <laughs> Damn, you love Nick. I loved him so much. <laughs> <laughs> I loved him so much. <laughs> I, I love him. that was my favorite story in those uh, in those podcasts. Oh, was his, his uh, obsession with Nixon? Well, him crying saying I loved him so fucking much. <laughs> exactly why that's a good story. <laughs> uh, and, and while we're on the idea of him uh, coming over from Mexico, you know another guy that fits the same mold of what we were talking about with Louis is uh, Tom Segura. Exactly. Um, yeah. Where if you listen to Segura's podcast, he's had his mom on, who is straight from Peru, I believe, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And Tom has done uh, shows in, in fluent Spanish. But if you look at him, he's just a dumpy white guy. <laughs> so that's never been part of it. And because he's not made it really part of his act or anything, he doesn't get the... Um, you know, whatever the whatever the diversity boost is. And guys like Segura and Louie don't need that. Um, but there are people, it is amazing. Like I, I still think Tim Dillon's the best example, but, um, uh, Fahim Anwar, I hope I'm saying his name right. Yep. Um, is a comedian who was just on, uh, Sam Marill and Mark Norman's podcast. And they were talking about this where he's like, you know, he, he looks white more or less, or, you know, maybe ambiguous and, um, being of a uh, middle Eastern descent is not part of his act at all. And he said, like, if I made that part of my act, I think that would be a boost for my career, but that's just not how I am. It's not my voice. So it would be inauthentic. Um, so anyways, I don't know. I don't know why I brought that up. I just think it's an interesting, an interesting way that Hollywood and, and the industry look at people. Like we think they're champions of diversity, but they want you to fit in the box that they right. want you to be in. Exactly. That's easy. Exactly what it's like. Uh, so little, uh, little Mexican Louie uh, grew up when they moved here from Mexico. They moved out here to Boston. Um, and Louie started stand-up in high school. And he was very interested in film as well. He started making short films. And I think you can get a bunch of his shorts on, um, on his website where a lot of them were nominated for awards um, he made things that went to Sundance and, you know, other festivals that I'm not really aware of, but, uh, he made a ton of shorts early on in his career, 
but he started stand up when he was 17, um, bombed and then got back to it. Uh, I think he said he took like a year and a half off or something like that. But this is the story of his first time um, on stage in, but actually when I saw him um, at the premiere of 4th of July, he told a story about uh, walking to the comedy connection every night and never getting on to the point where eventually the owner had to tell him like, you gotta stop coming here. Like, I'm not going to put you on. I don't, I don't think you're funny. (laughs) Uh, But this is the story of his first time on stage. Well, I, I got this. I found out that you could do open. There was an open mic night at a club in Boston where I started called stitches. And I was actually like 17, almost 18 years old. And, um, I thought, geez, you can go on stage. They said, you do five minutes. You just put your name in a hat and you get on stage. You can be anybody. That was so exciting to me. So I went to this club, Stitches, which is very grown up. They didn't even want to let me in because I was underaged. And they have a drinking, you know, a liquor license. And then I went on stage and I did about two minutes because I didn't have enough material. Like I just ran. I sputtered my whole throat constricted and my I heard this roaring in my ears my eyes were watering my um, heart was pounding and I couldn't control myself I couldn't think straight and all these adults like drinking adults were looking at me like I'm an idiot and I just walked off stage to kind of confused like little applause (laughs) and I just felt like a pile of garbage Um, so uh, speaking from experience, you don't ever quite realize how long five minutes is mm-hmm. until someone's like, uh, why don't you get up and say some funny shit? You're like, oh, fuck. Five minutes feels like forever. <laughs> you were just looking at blank faces like, what? Do you have a, is there a joke here? Like, what are you doing? You're just going to lift up your shirt? What the hell is that? <laughs> it's so funny. Like, it feels like, it feels like six hours when you first start. And then once you're in the groove of things, you're like, that's all I get. Fuck. Right. Yeah. Craig, Craig wants to prowl the stage. He says an hour. That's not enough time. That's you know, enough time. Let, me, d- let me create genius up here. I think the most I ever did was 35, 40 minutes, maybe. That's a, that's a hell of a long time. It was, but I shouldn't have been up there for that long. I, I maybe. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. I maybe had 30 that I was like, all right, if I, I can live and die by this, but I had to stretch it. <laughs> so, so he said the, the funny thing is, and this is how. Um, I always say like, I wonder, I, I shouldn't say I always say, cause I don't think this is a particularly original thought, but I have wondered like, is there someone out there who would be better than Michael Jordan at basketball that has never picked up a basketball? And the answer is statistically most likely, particularly in poor countries where they're not even thinking about sports. <laughs> you could probably pluck an athlete out of there. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, Comedy, I think, is that even with even greater numbers, because there are I think there are funny people that try stand up and bomb and are just like, I don't have what it takes for this and quit. So like the uh, the great stand ups that we see or even the mediocre stand ups that we see or even the bad ones, even Tom Myers had to have the guts to keep getting back up there. So it's not just like the funniest. And that's why a lot of them are introverted weirdos, because it's not always the funniest person. It's the funniest person who also had the balls to keep getting their dick kicked in over and over again. It's not not about how I mean, it is obviously about how funny you are, but it's also 
how well do you take bombing and everyone hating yeah. you that are staring right. at you? Yeah. And uh, that's the thing that a lot of people don't realize. And I try to say about Brendan Schaub and T.I., like when we talked about celebrities a couple weeks ago, um, that's why the place to attempt stand-up, even if Brendan Schaub ha- is the most brilliant comedic mind of all time, to figure out the best way to uh, you know work your voice is not in front of a theater of people or with a special on Showtime or the you know arenas that Ti is selling out under the guise of p- performing music. Um, this is just, just not the right environment for it. And I think Louis is one of the best examples of guys that sometimes it takes. 15, 20 years to get good. Where if you look at er- Louis's early stuff, you're like, okay, it's fun. It's not unfunny, but you can tell, oh, this is a guy who was telling jokes that became a guy that said, how do I craft these jokes into something that no one's ever heard before? You know? Yes. Uh, like, I mean, like, uh, well, we'll actually play one of the bits in a little bit, but um, he has bits where the subject matter might make you say like, oh, this is hack. Everyone has talked about this. But then when you hear what he has to say about it, you're like, fuck, I never thought of it that way. It's pretty smart. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, while he did bomb, oh, he also had a story about, uh, I guess Kevin Meany went to the store that he, Louie worked at. Louie worked at like a convenience store in this area. And uh, Kevin Meany was a frequent customer there and he would go in and uh, Louis told him that he did stand up, and Kevin Meany said, "Why don't you come to uh, come do my show tonight?" And Louis did it again, just bombed again. And <laughs> Kevin Meany put his head down and like couldn't look at him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but despite all that, Louis uh, obviously became successful fairly early on, um, to the point where he was writing for, uh, he wrote for Letterman. He wrote for Conan. I didn't realize he auditioned for Saturday night live. I didn't either, which is probably a good thing that he didn't like, I, can you imagine? It's kind of like we've said about Shane before. Could you imagine Louie fitting on SNL? Not really. No, I picture Shane before him for sure. Yeah, and now we, well, to be fair, we've also seen Shane do sketches now where, like, maybe if Louie had a sketch show, we'd be like, oh, fuck, okay, I get it. Right. Um, but he did not make SNL, but he what he did is get, uh, he developed a relationship with Robert Smigel, and I'm pretty, the only thing I remember from, uh, do you remember Saturday TV Funhouse on SNL? Yes. Like the little cartoons they would have in the 90s? The only ones I remember are the ambiguously gay duo. duo. Correct. Which I could see Louis writing. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Uh, I don't know if those are the sketches he wrote. I know he so he wrote for uh, Saturday TV Funhouse with Robert Smigel. I'm assuming it was the ambiguously gay duo because that has Louis written all over it. But I'm I'm not 100 percent sure. I bet he definitely added on to it. But what what do you know what year it was that he was there? Um, I don't know exactly what year. No, right. mid, mid to late 90s. Um, he probably he probably definitely wrote some of those, but. I feel like I'm pretty sure the ambiguously gay duo has been around forever. Even so, earlier than that. That's yeah, possible. Since too. the 80s. Yeah. Um, so, he, you know, he wrote for Letterman was his first writing job. Uh, he went on to write for Conan, which uh, we'll play something from that in a minute. But he was successful early on. He wrote for the Chris Rock show in the 90s as well. Um, he became friends with Chris and like started opening for him and stuff like that. So, he was successful early on. So when we'll talk later about him coming for, I, I 
I fucked up early on in this podcast. I realized I thought it would be hilarious if I went like 45 minutes without even acknowledging that Louis got canceled. Mm-hmm. And I forgot that I alluded to it. Or so I was like, ah, fuck. Now I have to say it at some point. Yeah. But, um, uh, uh, I lost my train of thought now. What was I saying? I don't know, but ambiguously gay duo actually started in 96. Yeah. So there you go. So I think, I think he had his fingerprints on there. Um, Oh, that's what I was saying. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was successful in the nineties and early two thousands. Um, but I would compare him to, I don't know, Mark Norman's level, or I would say maybe even a better comparison is like Hannibal Burris of 10 years ago where he started to have comedy out there. He had an HBO half hour in the late nineties. He had material out there like Hannibal wrote for, uh, SNL and 30 rock and he was a successful comic, but this is where we, you know, I'll get into the debate of like how much power quote unquote he had. Cause I think it's an interesting conversation. I, I'm not a hundred percent right on it. Like I think it's a complex issue, but we'll talk about that more later. I just wanted to set that up. Um, he also directed in 2001, a film called Pootie Tang. <laughs> Yes, it's, it's, which which we'll discuss in a moment. But first, uh, our next clip is the about Conan, right? Yeah. On Seth Meyers. Yep. Um, so this is him talking about his uh, writing experience with Seth Meyers when uh, he was a writer for Conan. Answer. Yeah, because on uh, the, the basically you try to find your way around the approval process. You know, yeah. there's a head writer and there's producers and there's standards and practice. But on Conan's show, there was a produ- uh, announcer named Joel, mm-hmm. and he would make a little joke before he said Conan's name, like a little offside joke. So me and my friend Dino, who were like uh, two of the more uh, we were, had been there longer than other writers, we realized nobody checks those. You just write them and you hand them to the <laughs> to the guy. So the side door. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So we were like, what can we, so we came up with one, which was, he said, uh, he goes, last night, the missus gave me a pearl necklace. (laughs) (laughs) It's, I like the idea of like, you think that television and film industries are such, you know, tight knit operations. I like the idea of guys just fucking around (laughs) and that gets on the air. (laughs) By the way, a little, uh, little fun fact for you community fans out there. His friend Dino that he referred to is Star Burns in the show Community. So a little, uh, little piece of history there for you folks. Um, but yeah, like I said, he also directed his directorial debut. Um, aside from, like I said, shorts and things like that that he had made. Uh, he made a film called Pootie Tang, which I had heard about forever. I know... Uh, Chris Rock starred in and Louis directed a film called Pootie Tang that bombed horribly. I never knew what it was about. I didn't realize it was a superhero movie. (laughs) (laughs) I I haven't seen it probably in 15 years. You have seen it though? I couldn't tell you anything about it. It's been forever. Oh, I was going to ask where their redeemable quality, like was it a cult? Because I... Some places refer to it as a cult classic, which I don't really think of it as. It's more of um, you reference it as a Louis' biggest bomb in his career it's, and Chris Rock. It's kind of become a cult classic. For but because, what I'm asking is because it's so bad or it, were there funny parts to it? I'm, I, I'd have to rewatch. I'm sure there's actually funny yeah. things in there knowing him. Um, so. so what Louis said about it was basically that uh, because it was a superhero movie, the studio saw franchise potential 
So they had a ton of notes and things they wanted to do that would, you know, uh, warrant a sequel and things like that. And Louie was like, no, no, this is supposed to be a weird, this is supposed to be just a weird project that we're working on. And that's not, it's not about making the, the Avengers. Um, and so it got, they got bogged down with notes and Louie ended up getting fired as the director. Like he directed the entirety of the film but they took him off of it like through the edit- editing process and the studio changed it a whole bunch. Um, that's not to say I have no idea if Louis remained on that. I'm not saying it would have been, uh, you know, the dark Knight, but, <laughs> but that is, uh, that is probably the biggest bomb of both, both him and Chris Rock's career. Um, it's, it's also the most hilarious, like, you have to know that your movie is going to be good to call it Pootie Tang. Right. <laughs> because otherwise it's a hilarious punchline for a bad movie. Was um, Tim Meadows in that as well? I don't remember. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I can't remember seeing him in the trailer, but um, anyways, uh, so that takes us to the early two thousands. Uh, what's the next clip we have? Lucky Louie. Okay, so yeah, like I said, Louie was a successful comic. Um, and because of that, he got show, like he worked on the Chris Rock show. Um, he had HBO material out there, and he was able to get Lucky Louie. Now, on Lucky Louie, uh, he was the showrunner. And, or I don't know if showrunner is the actual term for what he did, but he was the creator, he was the star. So that's where you start to see Louie have actual power in comedy around don't, don't 2005 s- don't say that p word why is that because that's the uh what led to a lot of accusations oh well that's the, no, that I'm, I'm trying to be as honest as i can about it <laughs> put my biases aside 2005 is where you can say he got uh power in comedy particularly with the staff again if you're talking about other comedians i would say mark normand uh you know Hannibal Burris 10 years ago, whatever, are not powerful in the sense that, you know, Mark Norman couldn't ruin your career. You know what I mean? So that's the weird thing where you start talking about power is do these people view themselves as powerful, you know, and that's where I think it becomes an interesting debate. But anyways, um, you see, you said we had a clip about Lucky Louie. Uh, It's open Anthony clip. Oh, that's right. Okay, yeah. So let's hear that. We're starting to get into some Opie and Anthony stuff, which is uh, some other funny stuff as well. But let me hear about uh, Lucky Louie. I'd like to bring up, by the way, my name's Louis C.K. and I had a show called oh, Lucky Louie. And you- I should have set this up a little better. Uh, this is with Bill Donahue, the head of the Catholic League, uh, who went after Opie and Anthony for Sex for Sam, which uh, we mentioned in the Sex for Sam episode. Bill Donahue also went after... Lucky Louie for um, there was basically an episode about Louie trying to satisfy his wife and having sex for pleasure, that sort of a thing. And the Catholic League put out a statement on that condemning Lucky Louie and saying it should be taken off the air, blah, blah, blah. So uh, Bill Donahue was on Opie and Anthony, and this is Louie confronting him about that. 
Please but so. I, I'd like to bring up, by the way, my name's Louis C.K., and I had a show called Lucky Louis, and, and you, you issued a press release uh, saying a lot of negative things about my show. Uh, so I'm on the radio with you. I can't, uh, I can't not mention it. Um, I remember one thing you said. You, you made a list of things that were offensive to Catholics about Lucky Louis, and one of them was an episode we did where I wanted to help my wife have an orgasm before we had. We decided <laughs> not to have another child until we were having good sex and she was having an orgasm. And you let listed that as something that's offensive to Catholics, which I don't I don't understand, because a married couple trying to make sure that their sex life is is healthy before moving on to a second child, how can you have a problem with that? Did I have a problem with that? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that's the greatest clip to show, you know, like with all the horse shit you deal with now, the idea of how how thin how thin their their outrage is. You know what I mean? Like there are people that will start campaigns to get shows off air and things like that. And if enough time passes, they're like, fuck, did I, did I say that? Did I give a shit about that? I said <laughs> to that. Where even the Catholic, the head of the Catholic league is like, was I mad about that? I, I'm sure he also worded that. So it, it came across less harsh than the show did. <laughs> right. Yeah. So lucky Louie was a good show. It was an interesting show. Um, if you're not familiar, it was, it only lasted one season. Uh, it co-starred Pamela Adlon, uh, Jim Norton, Nick DiPaolo. Um, God damn it. I'm blanking on the other guy's name. He passed away, unfortunately. Very funny actor. Also in the Amco episode of Curb, if anyone knows who I'm talking about. Um, but uh, it was what was unique about it was it was similar to Roseanne as far as the set in that it was like a very drab. It, it looked like an actual you know, New York apartment where it was just very, you know, drab. They didn't have a lot of money, that sort of thing. Like it reminded me of Roseanne and the look of it. And the other thing that was interesting about it was um, the studio audience was kind of like um, Larry David tried to do with Seinfeld. Um, But when, when jokes bombed, you just wouldn't hear a laugh, (laughs) which is, you don't get that out of a lot of sitcoms. Like Louie wanted to leave in the real reaction uh, of the audience. They didn't pipe in the, uh, you know, the laugh track or any extra crowd noise or anything. Um, but because of that, because of things like that, and like I said, because the the set was very drab and it's the only, I think it's the only show. It was the first, and I can't think of one since, um, that HBO has done with a live studio audience. Like they don't really do sitcoms in that way, you know? Um, so I think because of all of that, it just tanked, like no one watched it. And then it became kind of a cult classic. Now it's off of HBO. I can't think of why, but it's, it's not there. And, um, I don't know. I don't know if there's anywhere people can see it. Cause Louie recently just put on his website, the show Louie that was on FX, but I don't know if there's anywhere you can find lucky Louie. Unfortunately, I've been looking for it for a long time. Yeah. And if Craig can't find it, it ain't out there, folks. No. Um, uh, do I want to talk about... We'll get to Lou, the show, Louie, in a second. But is our next clip another, another Opie and Anthony classic? Yeah, it's literally one of my favorite things he ever did. Yeah. So uh, if you guys don't know, if you're not as familiar as ONA as we are, they essentially had a stable of, at the time, younger comedians. Obviously, Jim Norton was in there every day. And we all know Patrice O'Neill, Rich Voss, Bob Kelly, the regulars kind of. 
But they also had Colin Quinn, Bill Burr, uh, Louis C.K., Jim Jeffries, like a lot of the people who are the top comedians in the world right now were on ONA regularly. And because Louis got so huge, you forget he was in on ONA all the time. Right. And uh, he would fill in for Norton sometimes. And when they had him on, um, they did a, a run on where they half the day they were on terrestrial radio on Howard Stern's old stations. And every time Louie was on, he would forget that they weren't on XM and say something that would they, they would have to dump out on or something like that. But it was never fuck or like he would never get thrown off for cursing. He would say things like, you know, um, uh, anal fisting and shit like that. Where he's and then he'd be like, "What? You can't say that on the radio?" And they're like, "No, of course not. <laughs> no, you can't actually." <laughs> but uh, which is amazing when you go listen to some old Howard Stern clips of what they could say. But right um, as we uh, as we pointed out, but uh, so Louis was on one day when they had Donald Rumsfeld on. Which, mm-hmm. if you're not familiar with Donald Rumsfeld, uh, Secretary of Defense during the Bush era. And uh, he's seen a seen some shit. He's been in po- uh, politics forever. Is he still with us? I, th- I think he died. Did he? I'm, uh, I could be wrong. See. Um, well, rest in peace if you're if you're no longer with us, Donald. But he was on ONA, and uh, if you know ONA, you know that Anthony's a big Republican, and I think he wanted to do like a serious interview with Donald Rumsfeld. And uh, this is how Louis contributed to that. He died almost exactly a year ago. I knew it. I had a, that's why I'm doing this episode. Rest in peace, Donnie. Needs to serve. It's interesting though, because there are people who think. I mean, here's a guy who, were you know, met Eisenhower as a congressman, right? I was running for Congress, exactly. And and you know, worked for Ford and Nixon and Reagan, and both Bushes. And there's still those people out there that think, you know, Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney are actually lizards <laughs> who, I mean, literally, there's people that think they're lizards from outer space. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Who eat human flesh. I don't know if anybody's ever asked you directly, sir, but are you, are you a lizard? <laughs> I don't think <laughs> Are you actually, can you just please give that a straight answer? <laughs> are you a lizard person? Louis a little left-leaning, No, sir. I'm not. I'm not. Here's Let him answer. Short, are you a lizard? Here's the short answer. Yeah. I'm in New York City. I walk down the street. People walk up, shake hands, stop me. They want an autograph. He's I want to get a photograph with me. Go to eat last uh-huh. night at dinner, and Joyce and I were sitting there in the little Italian restaurant, and, and a man came up to buy my dinner, and, and it turns out I paid for my dinner. The next thing I know, the waiter comes back and said, the man insisted to pay for your dinner, and here's your canceled receipt. See, there's plenty of people that he's not going to dignify. around with the wrong people. He's not going to dignify an answer to, are you a lizard, Louis? Why not? Because he's not. A lizard. What is the story about getting somebody paid for your dinner? Have to, I would pay because- for. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, a, it's so bizarre. Well, so if you if you never heard the interview, go check it out on uh, YouTube because like ten more times, Louis says, you know, I just, sir, I just I don't understand why you can't answer like yes or no. Are you a lizard? <laughs> Which is a, a tremendous point because if you hear Rumsfeld at the start of that answer, he goes, "Here's the short answer." <laughs> The short answer would be no. <laughs> Here's the short answer. Someone bought me dinner. It, it's always, it makes me laugh every time I hear it. 
And then he goes into, yeah, he goes into the story about uh, someone buying him dinner. And then he says, you're messing with the wrong people. <laughs> Which, I don't know what the hell that was supposed to mean. And I thought, I thought this was, uh, well, you know, until the uh, domestic violence arrest. I thought this was Anthony Cumia's worst moment. Because unless he was completely in on it. I think he was. And doing it because of that. But every time he, but if he's in on it, he did a bad job of being in on it. Cause he would interrupt Rumsfeld and say like, he's not going to answer that. Whereas he should have made Donald Rumsfeld answer that every single time. And I think Louis said to him, like, why wouldn't you want to live in that world where he has to answer whether or not he's a lizard? See, I think he was honestly playing the Opie role of making, Possibly. Sure, you making, right. making sure that this doesn't end. Right. Like, don't hang up, sir. I'm on your side. That's definitely possible. If if I'm remembering right, I'm pretty sure he admits to that after he does hang up. No, no. I, that's what made me think it wasn't a bit. Because after they hang up, Louis says, why wouldn't you want to live in that world? And Anthony says, he's not going to answer that. And my thought was like, you got to make him answer it. That, that, that's the, that would be the hilarious thing. That show is the but best. Either way, that, that clip was... It certainly wasn't the first time I heard about Louie. Like, I remember liking Louie when I was fairly young. Mm -hmm. But I, I remember that, like, in the somewhat early day. That was probably around 2010-ish, 2009, maybe. Somewhere. Um, so, you know, the earlier days of YouTube, and I remember that going around and people talking about that. And Louie had a few moments like that. Like, YouTube was a big boost to Louis's career where like I said in the comedy world like if you were a comedy nerd you knew who Louis CK was and uh by this point you knew him as like one of the funniest guys ever um but mainstream people didn't really know that and the thing that people's kind of credit with him starting to get really big was his clip on Conan where uh, he talks about just modern technology and our reaction to it. So uh, this is a little bit of that from, I think when Conan was on the tonight show, right? I believe so. Judging by the yeah. set. Yeah. Do you feel that we now in the 21st century, we take technology for granted? Well, yeah, because now we live in an, in an amazing, amazing world and it's wasted on the on the crappiest generation of just spoiled idiots <laughs> that don't care because this is what people are like now. They got their phone and they're like, ugh, it won't. Give it a second. <laughs> it's going to space. <laughs> Can you give it a second to get back from space? I was on a, I was on an airplane and there was internet, high speed internet on the airplane. That's yes. the newest thing that I know exists. And I'm sitting on the plane and they go, open up your laptop. You can go on the internet and it's fast. And I'm watching YouTube clips. It's I'm in an airplane and then it breaks down and they apologize. The internet's not working. The guy next to me goes, this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Like, how quickly the world owes him something yes. he knew existed only 10 seconds ago. Right. <laughs> and that might even be the last time you can mark something on The Tonight Show making a star out of someone. Oh, I know. <laughs> you know, like, it doesn't happen anymore. And now they don't even really try to make it happen. Like, there was a time where Jimmy Fallon's videos would go viral and things like that. But, um... So yeah, that was kind of the start of Louis getting like really popular, and he used that in his show, Louis, which was on FX, 
which uh, great I show. didn't. I don't. What's that? It's a great show. I don't think I included the clip for that. Did I? No. I don't have any Louis related clips. No. Nope. Um, because it was too long, and the story was uh, uh, the way he told it was a little long and convoluted. But basically. Um, when he told the story of getting Louis, he was kind of a point at a point in his career where like he was content with doing standup and just, that's how he made his money was standup gigs every weekend. And after the lucky Louis experience, like he wasn't hundred percent sure that he even wanted to go back to TV. So he went into FX with leverage and um, NBC had offered him some kind of deal. And I think maybe CBS as well. But, you know, if, if you know anything about Louis C.K., him on NBC would be such a neutered version. Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? Especially of how weird that show was. Like an actual network would have bogged them down with notes and wouldn't have allowed so much weirdness. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, because people, a lot of people didn't get it. A lot of people don't get that show. There's a scene on that show that we actually reference kind of often on Blind Mike Project um, when they were talking about where the origin of the. Uh, the gay, oh, yeah. The origin of uh, the F word. The gay F slur. Yes. Um, and that wouldn't have aired on any other station, I don't think. No way. And it's one of the most like progressive scenes on television. <laughs> right. Really. I actually learned something. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, I literally, I stopped use, I consciously made an effort to not use that word. Cause I was a kid that said that shit all the time. Mm-hmm. And it taught me, I was like, Oh, okay. Um, he also, you know, had the episode that we talked about with Dane cook. Yeah. Uh, in Dane cook's episode, we played a little bit of that. Um, there was a lot of int- very interesting stuff. He did Stanhope even to too. the point where, um, to the point where like he cast in season three, casts his ex-wife. Mm-hmm. And he, he, in the first two seasons, he shows his kid. They're like lily white blonde girls are his two daughters, play his two daughters. Right. And then they show his wife in an episode in season three. And it is a black woman, not like mixed race. Like she's a African-American woman and they never mention it, which is very odd. And then I heard Louis talk about, like someone asked him, why did you choose that? And he goes, I thought it'd just be funny to, for people to see these two lily white children and I never address that their mother's black. <laughs> <laughs> Just a weird thing that he threw in to see if people asked about it. <laughs> and of course they did. Um, so he went into FX and basically said, I want to, um, I want to write the show myself. I want to edit it myself. I want to direct it, blah, blah, blah. I want full control of the show. And they were like, well, we've never done that with anyone and he's like all right well we don't have to do it then i just won't do a show and they're like all right no no no, we'll we'll do the show like, you know what i mean like he went in with the ability to say no which most people pitching a television show are just like i just want to get this fucking thing on the air yeah so I'll, I'll suck your dick whatever it takes yeah it's so much power yeah you know what craig we're starting to get to that point it's all we <laughs> 2010 ish it's all we we're have starting left, to get actually. to the point <laughs> We're starting to get to the point where he had power, but oddly enough, we're also getting to the point where he cut out some habits out of his life. <laughs> so I'll take these broads down in a few minutes, but we're not there yet. Um, the other, the other interesting thing about that Conan clip is that he used that as probably my favorite um, run of episodes on Louie where the three episodes he did about trying to take over the late show for David Letterman. And those episodes start with him filling in for someone on the tonight show 
and uh, that clip going viral. So it was, you know, he, he wove his life into the story and it also showed um, like they had to do a few segments where Louis has celebrity guests on and has to like introduce segments and shit like that. And it was the only time I'd ever thought like, Oh, Louis might be okay as a late night host. Like you would not think that, but he, he, he at least in that episode handled it. Well, I think, I think he would be good at late night. Cause he wouldn't take the bullshit or do what he wouldn't do what the network yeah. say. Yeah. I can't put him. Uh, Norm is still the one guy I wish got For a late night sure. show. Most of all. Yeah, uh, that's our mention of Norm Macdonald Live, the greatest talk show of all time. Greatest show. Check. We've got. We've done that one. Nailed it. Um, but uh, when I saw that, when I saw that scene, I was like, Ah, shit, Louis. Louis might have been good at that. So if you're talking uh, revisionist history, I'd have to throw that on the board just because he's kind of done everything else. Like he's made now movies that I like, uh, or a movie that I like. Um, made TV show, multiple TV shows that I like, and obviously had tremendous stand up albums. Um. Oh, you know what? Uh, we'll talk about it in a minute. He did a podcast. I was going to say he he would do an interesting podcast, and then I remember he did one um, for a run that no one listened to other than me. Apparently, what was it called? But uh, we'll talk about it in a second because I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it for any of the kids out there. What happens? There's a twist ending in Louis's career that we haven't quite gotten to yet. <laughs> um, is that the is that the next clip that we have? Jen Kirkman. Yeah. So, uh, we'll get into it, folks. Uh, All right. Now, like, Louis... What's that? All right, I guess we'll get into it. If we have to, twist my arm, I guess we'll get into it. Um, so, Louis at this time now has... Uh, he's been in American Hustle, and, uh, you know, he's, which is a weird role for him, meaning, like, he went from a guy... That was just no, like he was the comics comic. They even referenced that in the show, Louie, that people thought of him the same way we now think of Dave Attell and Colin Quinn, where he's a brilliant stand-up. where outside of that world, no one really knew who he was. Um, then after Louie won a bunch of Emmys, then he starts getting movie roles with Bradley Cooper and Christian Bale. And he kind of starts hanging with that crowd. And uh, it was interesting to hear him talk about, um, he was on, uh, are you garbage recently? I think. Yes. And he mentioned the period of time where he started wearing suits um, on, on stage and his special 2017, which I believe is still on Netflix. Um, he's wearing a suit. That's the one that he's wearing a suit for. And he said like, Oh, I kind of, I started to um, think like, Hey, I'm doing a thing. Like I wanted to make it seem like this is an important thing that I'm doing. So I wanted to dress like it was an important thing that I'm doing. And now when he talked about it, are, are you garbage? He said, I'll never do that again. I'm, I'm going back to just, you know, black t-shirt and jeans, uh, which is what he's more known for. But the suit thing I think was representative of the, you know, uh, ultimate demise of Louis, right? Because he started wearing a suit on stage he started seeing him wear glasses more and pop up on uh, red carpets and hang out with Bradley, the Bradley Coopers of the world. And there was also an interesting thing of, um, he has uh, an email list. Oh, that's the other thing I, I, I should have mentioned. I apologize. Louie also started the trend of just putting out your own special yourself. Saves a lot of money. Um, yeah. And, and now you see it in the YouTube world with uh, Schultz and Marill and these guys doing it themselves and putting it on YouTube. But uh, Louis was the first guy that put it out himself and sold it. 
And then that started, comics started to realize like, oh, well, if the industry is not going to give us a shot, we don't need it. And then Gaffigan and Aziz uh, did it and sold a ton. Now, to be fair, you do have to have an audience to do that. You know what For I mean? For sure. Like uh, a, a guy with his first album is not going to be able to just, hey, go to my website and buy it and see any results from that. Um, so, you know, easier easier said than done for Louis to say like, ah, this is the model that you could use. But Louis also helped out comedians. Like he would put Todd Berry's um, album on his website and sell it. So if you look at it that way, Louis is basically paying it forward and saying, I'm not just using my website to promote myself, but here's a, a great comic that you may not have heard of. Like I think Todd Berry's hilarious. Here's a bunch of specials uh, for a bunch of enablers as the world likes to look at them. Yes, you're darn right. That's what they, that's what they are. Um, so Louis built up an email list and uh, they, you know, after he stopped selling his specials and stuff like that, he started using his email list for, you know, tour updates. Um, and then the weirdest email to be fired off from that list ever, in my opinion, uh, was in the fall of 2016 where he told everyone to vote for Hillary Clinton and talked about what a great mother she was. It was very odd and out of character for Louie. It's really, it's really unfortunate. The reason, the reason I mentioned that is I do believe there's something to the, the, the idea of when you step out of character is when, uh, you know, the, the cancel culture mob is most ready to feast you know what I mean? Like that's it, it, Shane, Shane getting SNL. Another example. He's not supposed to be on that. So that's when they strike and get you like Louie being on red carpets and, and endorsing politicians and things like that. He stepped out of his role. And I think that's when people were ready to pounce. Not to say that his cancellation wouldn't have happened anyways, but I had heard rumor. I, I not rumors. I'd heard these stories way before the New York times article. Me too. And I'm, I don't know if you know this, folks, I am uh, broadcasting from uh, a closet in my house with a Freddie Mercury picture behind me, but I'm not a Hollywood insider, despite what it, how it may look. Um, so it kind of started, I think this might have been the first place I heard it, was when Jen Kirkman was on the Nerdist podcast, ironically, Chris Hardwick hosting the show, which... Uh, he also suffered a, a fate, but he's back. Now. He's a rare, he got a rare W out of that though. Yeah. That's way. Uh, Hardwick and Aziz were, it started to turn the tides. Boy, does Louis wish his article came out after those two <laughs> <laughs> okay. instead of, instead of with Kevin Spacey and Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> Um, but, uh, here's Jen Kirkman's story, which I find very interesting based on the way, uh, history's changed course a little bit, but here she is on the Nerdist in, um, you know, 2012, while Louis was on his rise to stardom, basically. I had an incident that I talked about on my podcast that I had to take down because people weren't understanding it. And actually feminists and male feminists were coming at me and I was like, it's nuanced. So I talked about an experience I had with a male comic from about 10 years ago sure. who said something kind of creepy to me in no way physically violated my space. I did not see his body parts. He did not corner me. It was just a couple creepy incidents. And this person is a friend. I dare not call them a peer anymore because they were very successful, but 
he was sort of a not a mentor, but in a few times took me aside and said, go further with that bit. Or I encourage you to do the comedy clubs. Don't just stay in the alternative rooms, whatever. Great person, whatever. I lost touch with him, whatever. But I was like, God, those moments were so creepy. Just the words, just the words that. Um, but it was fine. It was one of those things where it's like I told other people about it because we were laughing about it. Uh, so that's an interesting way of telling that story where she's telling it from her perspective of almost defending Louie. Right. Um, now you can look at that and say maybe she was afraid. She didn't want to piss off Louie because he'd gotten powerful now. So she kind of backtracked and said, no, 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 you misunderstood what I said. But the reason I find that clip, it's confusing to me. Um, I, you know, I'd like to talk to Jen Kirkman about it if I ever get the chance, but she now will go on like when Louie won a Grammy this year mm-hmm. for uh, sincerely, she went on a Twitter tirade like you wouldn't believe saying, um, yeah, you know, you people have forgotten the Me Too movement and this is disrespectful to women and all sorts of she went on a, uh, you know, she seemed very, very emotional about the idea that Louie was being allowed back into uh, you know, society or how the good graces of, of uh, society, I guess she was trying to get the, which likes. is interesting. Well, it's hard to say. I don't know if in that clip with Chris Hardwick, if she's coming from a place of like, Oh, you people are blowing it out of proportion or I'm scared for my career. So I'm backpedaling a little bit because it could, it genuinely could be both. I don't, I don't know. I guess so. I guess so. Um, but I mean, like if you take her, at her word there, it's interesting, you know, how much things have changed in seven years or whatever it's been, because that's her trying to save her career. Whereas uh, if you try to save your career now, this is the kind of comment you have to backpedal on with Sarah Silverman on the Howard Stern show. Um, so this is after the New York Times article. So I've made a joke about alluding to it. But if you guys aren't aware, um, right after Harvey Weinstein. Uh, people say, hey, Harvey Weinstein's a rapist. And then the order of things was uh, now batting Louis C.K. <laughs> to, to clean up for Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> so uh, Louis was like right in the in the midst of you have, you know, real predators like Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Spacey and these people. And then. Um, you know, you have Louis C.K., where his, I, I believe, is more of a gray area. Um, so this is Howard Stern, uh, uh, Sarah Silverman talking to Howard Stern after the New York Times article came out. You know, anyway. so So again, oh. back to Louis, <laughs> yeah. Louis, a brilliant comedian, you're saying that it was, you were conflicted in that this is a friend of yours and, it, and it's very Listen, difficult. I, I don't know if I'm going to regret saying this, but I've known Louis forever. I, I, I'm not making excuses for him. Please don't take this that way. But, you know, we are peers. We're equals. So, you know, when I was, you know, when we were kids and he asked if he could masturbate in front of me, sometimes I'd go, uh, fuck yeah, I want to see that. Really? Yeah. It was like oh, so science. He, oh, so he did masturbate in front well, of me. Well, I mean, now I feel, but I, I feel like, I feel like, you know, listen. 
any one of us comics, especially people who are close to him, we can't promote a show or go on and do any press without someone bringing up Louie. So at some right. point, it's like, you've got to, you know, it's like, well, you spoke out about, well, I didn't speak out. I had an interview, you know, and I answered honestly because <laughs> right. that's what I do. Yeah. But yeah. And, and. Oh, so you and, and Louie were. But it's, it's not analogous to the other women in this that are talking about the, the, the predicament, you know, the, the what he did to them because he hadn't, he could offer me nothing. We were only just friends. So sometimes, yeah, I wanted to see it. It was amazing. Sure. Sometimes I'd be like fucking gross. No. And we'd get pizza. So I'm not saying no, what, what he does is okay. What he did was okay. I'm just saying at a certain point when he became an influential, not even famous, but influential in the world of comedy, it changes because and and he realized that he realized it later, but certainly before that New York Times but and you, even in that New York Times article, forgive me, they talk about how he went on and, and tried to connect with some of these women to say, I fucked up and wronged you and I want to make this right. So it's very, I, I, it's fascinating to go back and listen to that clip with Sarah Silverman mm. because she throws a lot in there. She says she acknowledges, hey, I I'm not below Louie in the industry. Like, so I don't know what it was like to feel like I had to say yes to this bizarre request of Louie, you know, jerking off in front of me. Um, so, I, you know, he would ask women, like, you want to go back to my hotel room? Um, but it's interesting to hear Sarah throw that in. So she acknowledges, hey, um, I'm not in the same situation as Jen Kirkman, um, or any of these other women, the women that wrote on uh, the Chris Rock show or anything like that. So um, the other thing that's interesting about it is she says in there, uh, he acknowledged that and he realized he fucked up and it was way before the New York Times article came out. Um, Sarah Silverman had to apologize for that. If you aren't, if you aren't aware of that uh, after that came out, she took a beating on social media and all that. People were criticizing her, saying she doesn't support women, this and that. And if you look back in time, because you kind of hear that that's the old Sarah Silverman we were just listening to. Right. You know, she was kind of having fun and she was taking it seriously, but like being fun and funny as well. Go listen to Sarah. My, my boys over at uh, Who Are These Podcasts have broken her podcast down a few times. I mean, the humor has been sucked out of Sarah Silverman. It's all political talk and, you know, uh, feeling guilty, you know, white guilt. She feels guilty about her success, all that sort of shit. Like, it's not the same Sarah Silverman anymore. And I truly believe that a big contributing factor in that was people hammering her for this and saying she doesn't support women. And that, kind of, you know, maybe took her by surprise to where she says, like, okay, I got to watch what I say now. And I think it just changed her. The way it does a lot of people. For sure, because uh, the Sarah Silverman that annoys everyone today would not even come close to that level of conversation. <laughs> no, she was, I mean, she was, uh, she was completely silly. And she would, uh, even on an episode of Louie, oddly enough, she made fun of uh, the character where she, she on stage, she was basically like, oops, did I just say that? Like, that was early Sarah Silverman. And she was, you know, uh, one of the guys for lack of a better term and somewhere and that was detrimental to her because people ended up criticizing her for it. Um, but 
I should backtrack a little bit and talk about a different uh, female comedian by the name of Roseanne, who I believe she tweeted this, which we all know how reliable Roseanne's Twitter can be. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the first time this became in the story, before, long before the New York Times article, Roseanne tweeted basically saying, I'm hearing these rumors about Louie. If this is true, he should apologize, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then she also went back and said, like, to be clear, I don't know if they're true. Like, if they are, I don't agree. Like, I think they're terrible. Um, but I, I, I just don't know. So Roseanne brought it up on Twitter. Um, again, I heard about it. And I remember a lot of people saying, including myself, like I thought this at the time, but I remember people hearing these rumors and their reaction was, oh boy, I hope it doesn't get any worse. Like That's weird, of course, the idea of him jerking off in front of women, but I hope it doesn't get any worse than that. And what Roseanne said is, I've heard Louie is blocking the door and not letting these women out. So if you want to know where that comes from, it's that. Because that went huge and that's all anyone refers to. Yeah. And we all know that Valerie Jarrett is a white woman. So (laughs) Roseanne is never wrong about anything. Right. (laughs) Um, But that's what it's referring to is uh, Roseanne saying, I've heard he's blocked the door. Uh, The New York Times article um, doesn't have any proof of that. The women uh, that I've heard come out have never even alleged that. They haven't said Louis blocked the door and wouldn't let me leave. They said... He invited us up to his hotel room. Uh, we were like, yeah, sure. He asked if he could jerk off in front of us. We thought he was joking. Uh, and then he ended up doing it. And we felt creeped out. To me, you know, like people say, I don't believe women. I believe these women. <laughs> like, I, be- I believe that happened. Mm-hmm. And I believe they felt maybe pressure because Louis was a bigger comedian. Um, but I do think in 2005 and prior, uh, that wasn't how people thought, particularly like a guy like Louie. Like, I don't know if you're at that point in the industry, you're thinking, oh, I have power over these women. They have to say yes to coming back to my hotel room. Right. I, that's just not how the country thought. Now it is. And I think that's a good thing that that's how we think. Um, I do think it's also made for like weird workplace environments where, you know, that's where a lot of people meet each other is at work. So is every time they start dating, is that a victim uh, dating their superior? Like, how does that work? It's very confusing. But my point is that there aren't really allegations of Louis forcing women at anything. And the clip I very badly wanted to include in this and doesn't exist anymore. It's been scrubbed off of YouTube. Interesting how that works. Um, if you want to find it, you can go to patreon.com slash blind Mike. Uh, because I, it, one of the very first things I did on Patreon was a series called who's really been canceled where I talked about stuff like this. Um, and I included this clip from Ari Shafir in one of the episodes where, uh, Ari was on Joe Rogan and I've heard Ari say this a couple different places. Um, but it's been, you know, wiped off the face of the, the world apparently, but he was talking about what seemed like a conversation that he had with Louie, but he was very vague. And he was kind of defending Louie. And then he says, well, let's say you're in a scenario where you're texting these women and they're texting you back like in a flirty uh, kind of sexting type of way. And then you say, let's meet up and you meet up for a drink. 
And then, you know, you're kind of flirting there and having a nice conversation and you're like, ah, all right, I still don't know what this is. So let me invite him back to my hotel room. And I say, do you want to come back to my hotel room? And they say, uh, yeah, sure. Let's go back to your hotel room. And then you get back to his hotel room and he says, you know what? I'm still not sure. Let me ask, may I jerk off in front of you? They say yes. <laughs> and that still wasn't enough consent to be like, well, they're adults, you know? Right. <laughs> so that's the thing that's weird to me. And there are also stories of Louis asking women that and uh, them saying, no, I would like you to not do that. And him getting embarrassed and apologizing and walking away. Um, so my thoughts on Louis are certainly that he's a weird guy. And he even has a bit about um, being a weird guy and people knowing his thing now. He's like, Obama knows my thing. <laughs> so here's where we get into uh, a strange area. Um, Louis said he's, you know, he apologized for his actions in print. He didn't do an interview or anything. Uh, he released a statement where he apologized to the victims. I have no idea who he talked to and didn't talk to privately as far as apologies go. Uh, but he released a statement. He was the only one during the Me Too era to have done that, to have acknowledged he was wrong in some way. Um, and then you didn't hear from him for, I think it was like 18 months or something like that. It was a long time. Yeah, maybe maybe even closer to two years. And then you started seeing uh, Louis pop up in different places. And one of the places he popped up was Skankfest, which I was at, by the way. And uh, a broad named Alba needed to take a nap. So we ended up missing the surprise guest of Louis C.K. But the reason I mentioned that is that um, the I think Louis, Louis J. Gomez tweeted out uh, the video of Louis walking on stage. And it was just like surprise guest at Skankfest. And the crowd went fucking bananas. Ape people shit. were People were so excited to see him. And the rest of the weekend that I was there, I was talking to people like, oh, did you get to see Louis? Everyone was so excited. They couldn't, they couldn't believe it. It was a, the greatest surprise to a group of uh, uh, dirtball comedy fans like ourselves. Um, meanwhile, the next day, an article came out saying that Louis essentially victimized these people by showing up there. And when they asked the Brooklyn Bazaar, which was the venue we were at, uh, the Brooklyn Bazaar said the staff felt like they couldn't leave. <laughs> <laughs> which I don't even know what that means. They made it seem like Louis broke in and was like, now I got you. I'm going to perform stand up in front of you. Well, they probably feel like they can't leave because they're on the clock and working for the venue. Yeah, that's actually good. I got to say, uh, I've never been a boss of employees before, but I feel like it would be a good thing if the employees don't just leave in the middle of the work day. Correct. That seems like a good start. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, so the Brooklyn Bazaar like, throws him under the bus. Uh, the comedy seller stood by him, but I also remember uh, Gnome, who runs the comedy seller, kind of making statements where like he sort of apologized for it. And I thought that was a little weird because it's like, now you're apologizing um, for just having comedians on, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's a weird thing to do when you're in comedy. Cause then does it go to the level of you're apologizing to have Doug Stanhope on? He can be offensive. You know, are you apologizing for that? Like that, that's where it starts to get weird. Plus, the comedy um, seller is not as popular right now without Louie because that television show and the opening he made and everything. It, he made it incredibly popular. Exactly. 
Um, and so, uh, yeah, there was a lot of backlash everywhere Louis went. There were people would protest his gigs, things like that. And then, um, his, he had a gig at governors in long Island. I think it was governors. Um, where he did an hour set and someone recorded that someone in the audience recorded that from their phone and just put it on YouTube the next day. And I remember like, Holy shit, an hour of Louis material came out. Um, and then I saw that it was just some like, random account. I was like, how did they get a hold of this? And it was just someone in the audience that recorded it, put it up. And in that, um, hour of material he had a bit about the parkland shooting where the bit was essentially of course i'm going to butcher it because i'm not louis ck but the gist of it was um talking about like the parkland kids like david hogg now going on like speaking tours and being um you know political voices when they were like you know 16 17 years old uh, and Louis was like, why do I have to listen to you? It doesn't make you interesting because you, you were in a shooting. And that was the gist of the bit. It was much funnier than I'm making it. But that's more or less what it was. And then parents of the Parkland shooters started coming out and threatening to fight Louis. <laughs> like, I dare, I dare you to say that to my face. And my point to that would be like, well, he didn't say it to your face. That was kind of the point. He did it on stage. You were never supposed to hear it. It doesn't make any sense to be like, say that to my face. He's not attacking you. Um, then comedians started going after him like Judd Apatow. I fucking hate Judd Apatow. I probably could have included a lot of this audio. There was just too much. Go do yourself a favor. Um, go listen to Judd Apatow and Pete Holmes on uh, Jim Norton and Sam Roberts. Jim Norton does a great job defending not just Louie, but like comedians in general. Um, and Santi- Andrew Santino also has a clip where he's kind of uh, pissed at Judd Apatow and defending comedians as well. So Judd Apatow went after Louie and started going nuts on him on Twitter and saying that shouldn't be allowed, all, all sorts of nonsense. And the point of a lot of comedians was, Judd, you're a comic, allegedly. <laughs> you do stand-up. Uh, he's a stand-up special on Netflix, so I, that seems to be proof that he's a comedian. Um you're attacking people for material that wasn't worked out. That wasn't supposed to be heard by a mass audience yet. It wasn't supposed to be dissected. It was literally him working on material. So you have no idea what that bit would have been by the time we were supposed to hear it. Um, So Judd kind of sandbagged comedians in a dirty way. And he was part of this group of people who were like, now Louie's not funny. Like that started to become a trend where people would be like, you know, and it was almost entirely jealous comedians or people who weren't familiar For with sure. his comedy to begin with, where they were like, oh, you know what? He was never funny. Which even with Cosby, like I was never a Cosby fan, but that's how I always say it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I never I never found Cosby funny, but people consider was, him a genius. Like he, he inspired a gener- generations of comedians. There was some club in Philadelphia or Pennsylvania, somewhere in Pennsylvania that um, canceled Louis shows. Yeah. I forget what it was. Oh no, no, sorry. Excuse me. There was a guy like an open micer who said he's never going to perform there again because they had Louis on. Oh dear. Was. So then <laughs> uh, it went crazy popular. The kids, the kids are fucking nothing. Literally an yeah. open micer. And then I think it was Tignataro or someone like that was like, oh, I'm going to take you on the road with me. And they started touring with them. 
Oh, well, you have a clip of Tig Notaro as well, right? Yeah, it's the last clip is I that, have. Is that our last clip? Yeah, so let's hear from Tig. Um, Louis did a lot for comics. And again, that shouldn't buy just good uh, uh, goodwill hall pass for the rest of your life. I'm not saying that. But uh, Louis like, created the show Baskets with Zach Galifianakis. Um, like I said, in the show, Louie, he would have people like Todd Barry, uh, DePaulo was in a bunch of episodes, mm-hmm. um, but he would even have comedians like do sets on his show for, you know, it was th- 30 seconds to a minute or something, but it is a comic getting a joke on television is a big deal to a lot of people. And it's generally people you hadn't necessarily heard of. Um, so he did a lot for comedians in that way. Um, Tignataro was one of those people. He co-created her show with her. Um, It's very interesting, the timeline where Tignataro was trying to separate herself from Louis C.K., which she'll talk about in this clip. I mean, it's a huge relief, but I, you know... It's a relief. To have him removed? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been... um, I, I found this out... Uh, right after we sold the show, that oh, um, no. this was happening, and I started publicly Convenient trying timing. to distance myself from him for uh, almost two years now. Yeah. And um, and then when this all came out, you know, even though I knew firsthand from people, I uh, it wasn't my place to um, call out names. Uh, you know, it's somebody else's yeah. story. It's and so, for, uh, it, yeah, it's for them yeah. to uh, directly speak about. Mm-hmm. But I knew for myself. I wanted to um, make there were, sure there were rumors in the in the comedy. Yes, business. but I had gotten sure were confirmation. Yeah, from those girls. yeah, and so that's when I started removing myself. Did he ever harass you? Did you ever have a personal experience with him? Um, nothing like that. Okay, but um, yeah, I uh, yeah, I like I said, <laughs> wow. I started distancing myself. What if I hate her so it's much? It's such a weird answer because it's like she wants to say yes, but nothing happened. <laughs> so she can't. She's not going to lie, I guess. But it was very weird. But let me try this for a second. Craig, I'm going to try and di- let's pretend you've been in a horrible uh, controversy. Okay. I'm going to try and distance myself from you. All right. You're off the podcast. Fuck, that worked really well. All right. Distanced. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't get what you mean. You were trying for two years? Well, my favorite thing is she goes, oh, I found out right after we sold the show. Ah, you wouldn't believe it. They bought it, and boy, I looked at the New York Times. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. Oh, I hate her so right, much. Right in the office of the studio exec. You had a copy. I'm like, I wish I looked at this earlier. <laughs> yeah, it's like two weeks uh, before. <laughs> Oh, jeez. Would you look at that? So I don't know. I, I I will probably take a lot of shit for this episode. I think most people listening probably already know my stance anyways. Um, but again, I'm not, this is not like victim blaming or saying anyone's lying. What it's saying is that Louis had a weird fetish. I've not heard any reports of him doing it in the last 10 to 15 years, really. Right. Um, evidently, he stopped by Sarah Silverman's account. He stopped by his own account. He stopped doing that a long time ago. Um, so I guess my point was to lump him in with Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Spacey was unfair. He should have been in the category with Aziz Ansari and Chris Hardwick. That's my only real point on Louis C.K. My, my whole thing was, did they say yes, yes. And if they said no, did he do it? No. 
That's where it ends for me. <laughs> yeah. And so that's always been my question is what are you suggesting? He did something illegal, you know, like unethical as an employer, I'll give you. Cause there was one account of someone who was working on, uh, I believe it was the Chris rock show where he was the head writer. Mm-hmm. And that's a situation where it's like, Hey, you should know that a woman beneath you in the industry is going to feel pressured to say yes to a date. However, that's very easy for us to say in hindsight, 25 years later, right? when that's not how society was in the nineties. Like I, I'm terribly sorry about it. It sucked for a lot of people, but there's nothing we can do about that. Now it's crazy for us to try and go back in time and say, this is how you should have behaved in the nineties when no one was holding themselves to that standard. Exactly. Um, anyways, uh, so, you know, people tried to cancel him for the parkland thing. Uh, he basically said, fuck everyone. He has not cared now. Um, like I said, he now has directed, um, a movie and co-written a movie with, uh, the great Joe list who I think, I don't know how often I've mentioned him on this podcast, but generally when people say like, who's a guy I may not have heard of in stand up that I should check out. My answer is always Joe List first. Um, like he put out a very funny special this year, and then he co-wrote a movie with Louis. Uh, so Louis started to do podcasts again. I just told you earlier on that he did the President's podcast with Shane, mm-hmm. uh, and then just in the last week or two, he has done uh, Are You Garbage, and he did Ari Shafir's Skeptic Tank. Uh, now neither of those he's has he talked about the incident. But the, the incidents, the many incidents, his canceling is basically what I mean. Um, in his specials, he hasn't really addressed it in the, he addressed it for sure. He talked about it. Uh, he talked about losing $36 million in a day, which there was also, he had a movie uh, coming out like that month or even that, I think it might've been that week uh, that the article came out. He had a movie called I Love You Daddy coming out. Where even people tried to spin this in a way, they're like, oh, it's so creepy. He's making a creepy movie. The movie about is about a dad and daughter. His daughter is, uh, you know, an adult now. She's gotten older, which is something Louis was dealing with at the time and still today. And his daughter starts dating a guy who's about Louis' age. And Louis is conflicted with that and has to deal with it. So people tried to, like, gave out that plot. And said like, oh, it's about an older man with a younger woman. And it's like, well, yeah, but Louis's the dad in the movie. Right. Like he, even in writing it, he's coming from the perspective of having teenage daughters. Like, so don't spin it into, oh, he's a pervert. He's leaving a breadcrumbs to tell us he's a creep. Um, so there's, you know, a lot of weird stuff like that that went on. But in Louis' special, he addressed it, but in a funny way. And his first special was called Sincerely. His second special is called Sorry. I have a feeling those weren't coincidences. I have a feeling he called them sincerely sorry for a reason. And in this, in the most recent one, he put sorry in giant letters behind him. So essentially, he's addressed it four times, let's say, or three times, I think, like in both in both specials in his own way, and in the statement that he put out um, where he apologized, basically. Right. Um, but none of these things were good enough for people where they're like, Oh, he he hasn't talked about it. That talk has died down a little bit. I think with the movie coming out, you might hear more people pipe up. Like if you go look at Rotten Tomatoes reviews, 
there are people that are criticizing the movie that seem to have a slant on why they're criticizing it. Like the ones who attack Louie, who is in two scenes of the movie, <laughs> they might have an ax to grind, mm. but um, basically he, what people are criticizing for, which I kind of agree with is that he has not done a sit down interview um, with whoever, whether it's 60 minutes or Joe Rogan, where it would be probably a friendlier environment. But why should he, he have to? Well, so here's my thing. As a fan of his, I would like him to, because I think he would shed some perspective on it. He's coming from an angle that we haven't heard because we hadn't heard, hadn't heard him talk about it. And I do think it would eliminate some of the weirdness where that's how you think of him. See, like, you know what I mean? I like, think it would be a step forward in kind of eliminating that as him addressing. So, like, R. Kelly did an interview, but he has been accused of rape. M- Louis, much worse. Louis yeah. C.K., who, by all accounts, never did anything against anyone's will, and they all said yes, and if they said no, he didn't do it. I don't think des- he doesn't know anyone's shit. Yeah. Uh, so, the, an interesting thing that I found is in a previous article, prior to the New York Times story about Louis... Uh, an interviewer brought it up to Louis and Louis's answer was, uh, he goes, you know, that's a lot of gossip. And I don't think addressing that stuff in the press does any good, which I take that to mean whatever I say, you already have your opinion and you're going to twist it in some direction. So I'm not, I don't feel comfortable talking about it because no matter what, you're going to think what you think. Um, so I assume now this is five years later and he's been through a lot, but I assume that um, he still kind of has that stance where he's like, no matter if I do Rogan, they're going to say I pussied out and went on a friend's podcast. If I do 60 minutes, they're going to take things out of context and spin them the way they want. No matter what he does, it's probably not the best look for him. Um. Now, with time, that might change. Like, to use Shane again, he just did an interview with Andrew Yang. That's about to, by the time you're hearing, this has probably already come out. Um, he didn't want to do that three years ago because he was like, what good does that do me? They're not going to be like, oh, you know what? Have SNL back. But with time, now that people have kind of forgotten that, it's like, oh, okay, here's his perspective. So in a year or two, Louis might do Rogan or Marin or, well, he won't do Marin because I've seen Marin's live streams, but... <laughs> Someone asked him the other day, are you friends with Louie? He said, no. And then you just moved on. Really? Just cut ties with him. Yeah. I hate Mark Maron, too. Well, he's on. I, I, I pity Mark Maron. Like, I think he's he's on the brink of a, a meltdown of some kind. But Him and Tignataro look eerily similar, too. <laughs> I don't I don't see well. I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, oh, I also mentioned Louie coming back. So, Louie went to France for a good amount of of his hiatus. Um, and he came back during the pandemic or before the pandemic, I assume. Uh, and at that time he was dating someone. He had a girlfriend. He acknowledged it in one of the specials. I think it was the most recent one uh, that he had just broken up with this woman. But while they were still dating, he put out on his website, like you paid like $10 and you got all eight or 10 episodes of his podcast that he did. Um, because it's on a paywall, I don't have the clip, unfortunately, but he was talking about his mother dying and, um, before his mom died, he talked to his mom about it 
And his mom shined like an interesting perspective on it where uh, she kind of had an open mind about masturbation and everything. So she was, his mom was basically coming from the perspective of like, why are these people giving you such a hard time about it? And Louis in that says like, well, it's more complicated than that. And it was kind of just a throwaway line and they kept going, but it was interesting to hear that little clip because you could tell he was almost arguing with his mom saying like, no, 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 I did some things wrong in this. So we can look at it and say like, he hasn't appeased us by doing an interview. Therefore he hasn't learned, but we don't know the fucking guy. So maybe he has, you know, we really have no idea. And I think he kind of likes keeping that mystery. I also think he likes annoying people by calling his specials sincerely sorry and not actually saying sorry in the specials. I think that's just funny to him. Yeah. His next one's going to be called to all women. (laughs) I'm serious. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so then his uh, latest thing, like I said, he directed 4th of July. I thought it was great. Um, Again, a lot of people that criticized the movie were like, it wasn't funny, but it was a drama that him and Joe list made. Um, And it's a, it's very, to me, it was very relatable. It was about anxiety and uh, dealing with a family that you don't necessarily relate to. Um, and those parents having to deal with a son that they did a lot for, but now they've kind of lost touch with him and he's standoffish and weird. I don't know why I related it to it so well after explaining it like that, but for some reason I did. I was able to put myself <laughs> in Joe List's shoes and see the world through his eyes. No idea why. <laughs> it's very weird. Um but I, th- I thought it was a great movie and it reminded me of the serious episodes of Louie where you're like, okay, this guy has something to say. It's not the funniest thing in the world, but it comes from an interesting perspective. Um, so if you're able to, it'll be streaming in August at some point, I think. Um, but uh, if you're able to get your mitts on 4th of July, I recommend you go see it. <sighs> I don't know. Was there anything I missed? Uh, we think we covered it. Yeah. So... I don't know. There, maybe there will be a part two of the Louie episode. Who knows what he's got in store for the rest of his career. Um, but I do think it's interesting to do kind of living legends sometimes. Louie's probably the most famous living legend that we'll do. I think the uh, next one we're doing is Ron White, by the way. Chappelle, probably. Yeah, but I'll talk about I, I'll talk about things like we talked about Chappelle leaving Comedy Central and shit like that. Right. Oh, but, okay. But my point is, I like living legends. I would rather talk about guys that are underappreciated, like Attell and Colin Quinn. Like I said, I have one plan for Ron White. I love Ron White. Um. So we'll do that episode. But with Louis, I thought it was just that like people stop talking about him now. So I do think it's kind of interesting to look back and remember what he was and what everyone once saw in him. And I just think in general, this discussion of what he did is interesting. Cause like I said, I'm sure pe- some people probably got annoyed at what I was saying, but I, I don't know that I was a hundred percent right. You know what I mean? Like I believe what I believe and you probably won't change a lot of that, but I'm also willing to hear other perspectives, you know, cause I think it's an interesting conversation. So yes, I hope everyone enjoyed it. Um, I know some matters were a little more serious today than others, but Uh, We try to mix in the seriousness with the usual wacky hijinks we provide you. Um, So make sure you go to, uh, uh, if you want to support Craig, you can go to verygoodshow.org. And then uh, this podcast, you can get a week early on blindmike.net. That's where you can find the Patreon, uh, the merch, the links to the podcast. Leave a five-star review, subscribe on YouTube, give us a like. All that helps the show. And... uh, Go check out Vaulted Podcast as well. That's where you usually do the show. 
It uh, sounds better when we're there. So if you want to record something, check them out in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Anything I'm missing, Craig? Um, nope, that is it, sir. All right, folks, then we will see you next week on Why Are You Laughing?